0: Good morning, Central Heights. Good to be with you again today. I'm going to continue our series called The Better Way. So if you want to take your Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at one verse today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Let me read it to you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophet's. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do to, do to them. Uh, perhaps this sounds quite familiar to you. It's quite well known, and some people refer to this as the golden rule. And in other societies and other religions, there's an echo of this that echoes in their beliefs as well. C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor and the creator of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, lived most of his life as an atheist. But in his worldview, he had an unsatisfactory explanation for this common observation that he had of people and, this, and their common morality. And it was like a pebble in his shoe irritating him and the worldview that he held to give you an example in my own life how, how that plays out that, that Lewis observed. Uh, a number of, a couple of years ago, I went to Paris to visit my daughter who was living there, and on one of the days, we decided to go to the museum called the Museum d'Orsay. It's quite famous. Uh, but this was a really rainy day, and so uh, there was a long lineup. We're holding an umbrella. We're shivering cold, and, you know, we've been in the lineup for a while when this old man... Okay, old is a you know, word of perspective. I understand this. But this old man cut in front of us, like shamelessly just cut in front of us. He was all by himself. He had his own umbrella and he just looked down. He wouldn't look up. And uh, I was miffed that he had the nerve to do this. And I wasn't the only one. There were people around me, and I don't know what language they spoke. I mean, Paris is a a magnet for all kinds of nationalities to come visit. It's an international destination. So I didn't understand the language they were speaking, but I could tell from their body language and their stares that they were myth too. So here we were from different places in the world, but we had the same moral judgment that what he did, cutting in our line, was wrong. Lewis would give numerous illustrations along this line. Like people will say, that's my seat. I was here first. Or you promised. We have these moralistic statements that are so common. To quote Lewis, he said, so many people... Uh, In human beings all over the world, they have this curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way, and they can't get rid of that. Well, this this understanding of Lewis led him ultimately to faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ, because as we read in God's scripture, as we read in Romans chapter 2, for example, we find that God created us, and in creating us, he gave us a conscience so that we have a, 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 we just have this ingrained sort of understanding of what is right and wrong. Romans chapter 2 talks about the law written in our hearts. It's common to all. So we shouldn't be surprised then when we talk about the golden rule, as this verse is referred to, that there are echoes of it throughout society and through other religion. Confucius talked about uh, do not do unto others what you don't want them to do to you. In Hinduism, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. We see a similar echo in Buddhism. Hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. And in Islam, not one of you is a believer until he desires for another that which he desires for himself. Echoes of the words of Jesus. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them. This is a common expression and it resonates with us because we have a sense of justice. We have a sense of wanting things to be right. And I think if you go even further, I would say as we look at some of the scriptures this morning, we have a desire and a sense that we want to be loved. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. We want to be loved. So we're going to begin this morning by diving into this Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, the golden rule. And let me begin by saying the golden rule is the way of heaven, not the way to heaven. It's an important distinction. The golden rule is the way of heaven, not the way to heaven. In this last decade in Canada, our latest census in 2011... Uh, it showed that there is about almost a quarter of Canadians consider themselves now to be irreligious. Uh, I don't know how you find that. I find that sad. But the flip side to that is there are still the vast majority of Canadians in some way believe in God. Maybe they don't feel like they have a personal relationship with him, but they do believe in God. And so it's not uncommon as you have a conversation about God and you have a conversation about the future and about eternity and death and how will you fare in the next life for people to say, well, I think I'll be okay. And, and you ask a question, you dig a little deeper and, and many times the reason why a person thinks they're going to be okay is based on the good things that they've done. I, I think I'll be all right because, well, I look at my life and I, I try to do good things. And we see a celebrity pass away and as people give tributes, they talk about how that celebrity is going to be a, in a better place. How do we know that? But because then they'll list a whole bunch of good things that they did. See, they lived a good life. And I've already said, right, like this resonates with our hearts. We need to be doing good, but we need to see from a scriptural point of view, the golden rule is not the way to heaven. It is the way of heaven. If we get the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're looking at, Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving like a new constitution. He's telling his followers, this is what people who are citizens of the kingdom, this is what they live like. Not to become citizens, but because they already are citizens. So later as we read in Matthew, it will talk about Jesus and and it will show his life and how he came to redeem his people. It will show that he went to a cross, that he died for them, and that people need to believe in him as the Messiah, the coming king that's been long promised in the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, it even begins Matthew's gospel that way. Saying that Jesus came, he's an Emmanuel, God with us, who came to save His people from their sins, from their sins. So when we think of the golden rule, <clears throat> it's not the way to heaven, it's the way of heaven. How many of you are familiar with this golden rule that we're talking about this morning? Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Of course, of course you are. How many of you have heard it many times, more than once? You're, you're, you're so familiar with it. Okay, so now let me ask you a few more questions as I've asked myself. Let me reflect together with you. Um, did you have interactions this week with people who were breathing and alive, and, and you, had a, you had an interaction with them? Is that possibly that that was part of your experience this week? Would you say yes? Okay, good, you're with me. We're living on this planet, breathing alive together. Okay, as you think about those people, just pick out one, one person and, and pluck, put them into your mind at the center point. Now, now ask yourself, with that person this week, how did you go about being intentional? How did you go about with activity, doing something for them, knowing that this is what you would would have wanted to, for them to do to you, but you do it for them knowing that this is what they would have wanted you to do for them. How, how did that happen with that person? Okay, so that's just one. Let's pick another one. Take another person now. Put them to the forefront of your mind and think about how this week did you do for them what you know they wanted you, would have just loved if you'd have, if you'd have done it for them. Jesus came. To save his people from their sins. Often when we think of sins, we think of sins of commission. As, as, As Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lust. Those are sins of commission. Thou shalt not murder, Jesus takes it further. You shouldn't even be angry, those are sins of commission. But there are also what we call sins of omission. Sins where we don't do what we should be doing. These are also sins. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. I don't know if you notice but in some of those echoes of the golden rule they're not given in a positive way the way that Jesus gives them. Jesus says, "Do unto others what you would have what they would have you do to them." Confucius says, "Don't do." Hinduism says, "Don't do." And so there's a negativity to them. Not that that's bad, but you could be a dog lying in the shade and not do something and look like you're a great Christ follower. Look at that golden retriever living out that golden rule. Doesn't harm anyone. But Jesus, in giving us this principle, is calling us to intentionality and action. And as we look at our lives, and I look at my own life, and as I've been reflecting on this this week how easily, how quickly I fall short. This cannot be the way to heaven. It is the way of heaven. I had a friend once and we had been talking about Jesus and, and um, we'd, we'd met several times and, and we went for coffee once and I asked him, like, what's holding you back? From embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like, what's keeping you? You seem to be so open, um, so welcoming to the conversations we've had. And he said to me, you know, I just, I just want to get my life together a little bit more before I make that commitment. I said, whoa! You, you don't understand the good news of the gospel of what Matthew is trying to relate, of what Mark would be relating, of what Luke and John are trying to get across. You can never work your way to that place where you're going to be good enough for what God has for you. This is not the way to heaven. This is the way of heaven. So we look at Jesus and we see what he's done as Matthew portrays him in his gospel and he goes to the cross and he suffers and dies this this horrific death and on him is placed the wrath of God for for all the punishment of the sins that all of humanity has has done and it's placed on Jesus so that he can save his people from their sins and, and you and I would think that I could somehow work enough, I could do enough good things To earn my way to be a citizen of heaven, that needs to die. The way of heaven is not the way to heaven. So Jesus is calling us to intentionality and action. And sometimes our actions are not so golden that we might ask ourselves the question, what is enough? And we need to realize the answer is we can never do enough. Because it's all about God, who he is, and what he's done for us. And good deeds are not irrespective of God, they're directly connected to him. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And he makes this connection, for this is the law and the prophet's. In other words, this is everything that God has been pointing to in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was often referred to as the Law, the Prophets, sometimes the Psalms. But everything that you read there, all about this faith, this faith, this being the people of God, everything that you read there is pointing to this. Later in Matthew's Gospel, somebody comes to him and and asks Jesus, tempting him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers him with two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second, Jesus says, is like unto it, as he quotes Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you get the ramifications of that? It, it was mind-boggling in that day to, to believe that we would love God. Uh, other religions, you, you tried to appease the God. You sacrificed to the God. So they would do something for you. But this idea of actually having a love relationship with God was, is so foreign. And, and, and for many religions, is foreign to them today. This is the startling good news of, of the gospel that Matthew is presenting. That we have been loved by God and we can love him in return And then to understand that God has so identified himself with humanity, so identified himself with other human beings, that when I love my neighbor, I am loving God. When I love you, because God loves you so much and so identified with you, when I love you, I am also loving God in that activity. The second is like unto it love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. In other words, all the things that you think about what does God want and what is it about all those things, you can narrow it down if it doesn't include this, a love for God having received his love and then being in a love relationship with him and then loving one another because of the love that you've received. If that's not at the central point of it, we're missing it. We're missing it. And as we read in the Gospels, so many people missed that. You know, there were, they say, the Pharisees uh, counted about 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then as new situations arise, they thought it would be important to add more laws. And sadly, some of the history of Christianity has been a lot of adding more laws and more rules to what God has given to us. And so people get this idea that having a relationship with God or that Christianity is so rule-based. And Jesus said, no, you can boil it down to this. Love God with everything that's in you because he's loved you. And then love one another because God is so identified with humanity that to love others is to love him. How beautiful and how powerful is that? Secondly, God's compelling community, when we do the golden rule, this is God's compelling community in action. Maybe your experience of community, whether it's in family, whether it's in work, uh, maybe it hasn't been the greatest. Maybe it's been dysfunctional or chaotic. Maybe it's been hurtful. Um, Can you imagine what it's like to be in a place where you're with people and people really care for you. And they do something about it. it. It just, it's just so good. It feels so right. I was gone the whole month of July. And I came home. And as I drove up into my driveway, I thought, wow, things, things look a little different. And at first I couldn't put my finger on it. I think I didn't really get it until the next day or two. Um... How can you leave for a month and your garden bed looks better than when you left? Like, how does that happen? How is some of my lawn still green? How does that happen? Why does my house look a little brighter than it did when I left? Like, what happened? Did we have this amazing windstorm in Abbotsford while I was gone? And what I found out is somebody on their own initiative decided to do good to me. And weeded my my garden bed, um, power washed some of my house and sidewalks. Uh, And this is not the first time something like that has happened where I live in my community. I got to tell you, it feels so good to be part of a community like that. Don't we desire that? Don't we just want to be part of that kind of environment where people care deeply for one another, where they love one another, and because of that, they actually seek out what's good for one another, and then they act upon that? Don't we want to be part of that? Doesn't that feel so right and so good? And you know what it is? Because that is what we were created for. In the very beginning, God created mankind in His image, the most beautiful, the most perfect community exists in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and the glimpses we get of that community in Scripture is so beautiful. How the Son comes to earth sent by the Father. And everything He does, He wants to glorify the Father. And as He does that, so there, there's these glimpses where the Father speaks from heaven and says, Oh, I'm so pleased in my Son. And Jesus lives his life for the glory of another, the Father. And then when when he goes, he sends the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit want to do? The Holy Spirit wants to honor and glorify what Jesus has said and done and glorify the Father. And you've just got this community of incredible love. This is what we were created for. And this is, in fact, what God wants for us. We see that in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays, he's praying to the Father, he says, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples, those who were followers of Jesus at the time. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That reaches all the way to us. That they may all be one. How unified, how one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe That you have sent me. Wow. Jesus prayed that we would experience the kind of community. The kind of self-giving. The kind of selfless love that exists in the Godhead. And that we can share in him. That we would have that with one another. And he says as we are like that. He says the world will believe. The world will believe. Father that you sent me. One of the glimpses I, I really believe I got of this was in um, the peace initiative that we were just at. As I watched the, the different faiths mingling, but as I saw how the Christians loved, how they loved each other because they maybe spent time with each other, as they loved each other, and as the, then they just poured out love on the people that were with them. I mean, we're talking about Christians from Australia, from Germany, from Canada, from the U.S., all over the place, how they just loved. And it wasn't just one person, it was this whole community of love. And as they entered into people's stories, as we shared earlier, and just with loving ears, came alongside and and suffered with people who have suffered and listened to them and provided encouragement and prayer It's so powerful. Has saw people move closer to the source of that love as they experienced it in community. This has been God's plan for his people, that they would experience it, and as they live it out, that the world would know that this is true. And they'd be drawn to Jesus Christ through it. Now we know even in reading uh, the New Testament that the church was not perfect right from the start, but they did get a lot of this right. We read in in, uh, Diana Bass in her book when she talks about Christian history, she says, "...throughout the first five centuries, people understood Christianity primarily as a way of life in the present, not as a doctrinal system, esoteric belief, or a promise of eternal salvation." By followers enacting Jesus' teachings, such as we're talking about this morning, Christianity changed and improved the lives of its adherents and served as a practical spiritual pathway. This way, and earliest Christians were called people of the way, bettered existence for countless ancient believers. We see this in Acts chapter 4 where it talks about how they got together or Acts chapter 2. They got together and and they met regularly. They broke bread and they worshipped and they prayed. And it says that nobody suffered lack because people just gave of the things that they had. Justin Martyr who was an apologist that is a, a defender of the faith in the second century. He said, we who were formerly valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possession... Now bring what we have into a common stock and communicate to everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another and on account of their different manners would not live with men of a different tribe. Now, since the coming of Christ, live familiarly with them them and pray for our enemies. Justin testified to this coming together of the Christian community. See, there were so many social stratas, economic stratas, that were like barriers that people couldn't bust through. But when people came to Christ, all those barriers came down. The haves shared with the have-nots. There was no social hierarchy, but everybody came together under the common denominator that they had been loved by Jesus and now had faith in him and wanted to follow him. And they expressed it verbally in proclamation, but also in the way that they lived. So in the early centuries, they didn't have the hygiene, they didn't have the medicine, uh, and the medical know-how that we have today. And so sickness was was probably more common, and the spreading of sickness was very common. In uh, 19, or sorry, 19, in, in 165 A.D. to 180 A.D., there was a, a plague, it was called the Galen Plague, and like hundreds of thousands of people died. And, and people were so fearful of, of catching the disease, you know, the, the sick would be kicked to the curb, the, the sick would be put out onto the streets, left to die there, because you didn't want to be near them, lest you would contract what they had, and you yourself would become sick, and you would die. This, this was the way people were operating except except for the christians many christians would risk their lives to nurse those people back to health many christians would go out into the streets and gather these strangers and welcome them in and nurse them back to health and in so doing some died But as so many were nursed back to health and wondering, like, what is it? What what do you carry? What do you believe that, that you would risk your life for me, a stranger? What is it? And then be completely open to the message of Jesus Christ that's so motivated. Having been loved by God, they had to do unto others what they would want done to themselves. Rodney Stark wrote uh, um, quite an amazing book on the rise of Christianity, um, talking about how it wasn't necessarily big events and you know, mass, mass crusades where thousands came to Christ at one time, but it was this constant loving of Christ's community that caused this faith in Jesus to go from this small group to spread like wildfire. He says Christianity revitalized life in the Greco Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with the many urgent problems. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent and ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. They did unto others as they would have them do to them and the world was greatly affected. Central Heights has a vision statement that says we uh, envision ourselves to be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. How does a movement happen? How did the movement happen in the first centuries? It happened as people understood the love of God. And that as they received that love and they loved him back, not to earn their way into that relationship, but because God offered it to them. And then as they received of that love and it poured out of them into the world, the world was changed. That's how a movement happens. And so with Central Heights, as we think about being a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, how will that happen? Surely by the proclamation, by the speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ, but not without the proclamation of our activity, the doing of good unto others as we would have them do unto us. And as I think and I, as I thought about this congregation and the, and the things that, that this church has done, and, and we look at the big picture and we, we think about, well, what, are, what would every person want to make sure that they have? And we think about food and, and water and clothing and shelter. And then I think about some of the initiatives that this church has taken. And you know how last spring we, we, we were involved in the run for water, the most one of the most basic needs that people have. And a number of you ran and participated and raised money. Others of you served in this very practical expression of Jesus' love. I think about last Thanksgiving when we took an offering and and we partnered with GAIN, the Global Aid Network, and it it enabled them to dig more wells in communities where, where fresh and clean water just changes the landscape for good, reduces the sickness exponentially, and opens their hearts to the message that global aid wants to bring, the message of Jesus. I think of our women and and, and the women's uh, drop-in center that we have on Thursday and the clothing that are available to women and, and the groceries that are available I think about our youth and our young adults, how they'll go and they'll have service days and and service nights, and they'll just go out sharing the love of Jesus. These are the things, I think, that Jesus has envisioned for his community to do. And I just want to say, good on you Central Heights. Keep it up. Let's do more. And I think about individuals as I've, as I've gotten to know you and hear some of your stories, how, how um, you know, uh, you're, you're young, but you're sponsoring with a big, big, big sisters, big brothers, others, how you're visiting the homeless on a regular basis. I go, keep it up. You're living out the way of heaven. You're living out the way of God's kingdom of heaven. This is what his followers do. And as they do that, people are compelled to hear the love that you are being motivated by. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Jesus said, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I do think we need to think about the needs of the world and, and we will always as a church be doing little bits and pieces to help uh, alleviate poverty and suffering and needs that people have around the world. But I think for each one of us, we also need to look at right in the place where we are, right at home. And I think that's where it starts, right at home in the family. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking how important it is for husband and wife to do unto each other as they would have the other person do to them. How if our marriages are going to be healthy, we've got to be marriages where we as uh, husband and wife, where, where you're just, you're not seeking what you get out of the relationship, but what you can put into it. I think of families of, of, of if you're a, you're a kid and your parents, like, blow your parents away by asking them, what would you like for me to do for you today? Wouldn't that be Amazing. It, it, it needs to start right where we are at home. Maybe your workplace, maybe you're, you're an employee, and, and you went to your boss and said, hey, what extra thing would you like for me to do for you today? Can you imagine what that might do in your boss's head? And you don't want to raise for it, you just want to do it, because this is the way of heaven. This is the way of Jesus Hopefully the Holy Spirit is stirring within you now. Names and faces and things that you could be doing. What would it look like if every one of us, when we left this morning, we just decided, because God has prompted us, we just decided I've got this person or these people and this is the idea. These are the things that I have in mind to do for them. And if 400 people went out from this place this morning doing 400, not acts of random kindness, but acts of intentional kindness, thinking about what that other person could really use, would really want, would really need, and we went out and did that, can you imagine what kind of ripple effect that could have? We might start a movement. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, Jesus said, for this is the law and the prophets. Let me pray for us. God, we are here this morning because you have loved us. We are here today worshiping you, God, freely. And we can do it passionately and with abandonment, Lord, Because you have loved us extravagantly, generously, giving us your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he has saved us from our sins, washed us clean, made us citizens of heaven, that we can walk with you. And now, Lord, we we ask that you would help us to live in the same way as Jesus did. Help us to live giving of ourselves, Lord, loving others as we have been loved. Would your Holy Spirit come, Lord, empower us, fill us, and may your love overflow through us, Lord, to touch our families, touch our church, Touch our city, Lord. Touch our nation. Touch the world. In Jesus' name, amen.